You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hello music lovers and welcome to Modern Musicology. I am Anthony and with me this episode I have my fabulous co-hosts Alan. What's up? Stephanie. Howdy everybody. And everyone's favorite DJ Rob. Greetings and felicitations. Well this episode we have a cheerful topic for you all. (laughs) We are talking about death. Specifically the 27 Club. Now, a lot of people are familiar with this concept, but for anyone who isn't, there is a phenomenon amongst the glitterati that the age of 27 is when some quite famous people have all died. Brian Jones, Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Jim Morrison, Kurt Cobain, and more recently, Amy Winehouse. So we're going to talk about, uh, firstly, why we think maybe this is a uh, a trend, not in a kind of trendy way, but a statistical trend. <laughs> and, it's um, trendy. It just dropped yeah, it no. at 27. We're going to talk about why this is a statistical trend. And we will also dig into some of our favorite artists who did sadly lose their lives at that age. So to kick us off, we're going to do a round table. What's the thinking? Why 27? I mean... I was thinking this because, uh, you know, around the same time in the, I guess it was the 60s, it was Janice Joplin, Jimmy, Jimmy uh, Hendrix, Jim Morrison, um, and also Brian Jones. I mean, all these people sort of in a very short amount of time passed away at 27. So I yeah. think that there was some mythology that was sort of created around that or you know people just it was just a weird coincidence that so many people of such stature passed away at that age that it sort of became something that was noticed i i think that that's exactly right i think that this became mythologized because of that like two-year span where these massive talents who were at the height of their powers all sort of died and it became news that they all died at 27. Because if you look at a list of, you know, particularly musicians who all died at 27, it goes back to the 1800s. Right. And it certainly wasn't a phenomenon at that point, but I think it was because when you're in the height of the the flower power and the hippie movement, and you have these, these figures like Janice and Jimmy and and Morrison, who are just icons of that scene of that counterculture kind of thing, and they all die at twenty seven within two years of each other. Yeah, I mean that's that's what really kicks this whole thing off. It it was also like the way they like it, they're just ODing one after the other kind of, and it was just the manner in which they died too was 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 shocking. You know, I mean, it wasn't like they. Uh, had an accident or something. It was like they were they yeah. were dropping dead of drugs. That pe- that th- the whole flower power movement was peace, love, and drugs and happiness and whatever. But people started dropping dead, and this was you mm-hmm. know a dark side of it. Yeah, good point. One of the interesting sort of urban myths of this whole thing too is that starting with Robert Johnson dying in '38, mm-hmm. um, there's this whole mythology that all of these artists somehow made a deal with the devil. And that they all died when they were 27. That's which another good is interesting thing. when you yeah. see all these young performers um, after. I mean, there was a run of these guys in the 30s and 40s as well. And then it kind of tapered off because then people only died in car accidents or plane crashes in the 50s, right? You know, you get the run in the 60s. So that is also sort of one of the urban myths of the whole thing that kind of makes this subject kind of tantalizing and interesting. But I think you have a whole ton of really great and talented people and you just look at the artistry of what could have been oh yeah yeah that is why i think everyone really looks at this so much because you know the 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 landscape the i mean just look just focusing on the 60s right 
yeah. the landscape of you know a world where uh, Hendrix, uh, Morrison, and um, Janis Joplin don't die makes yeah. the 70s way more interesting as a musical decade. And I think the other side of this too is that um, discounting Brian Brian Jones, who had a, a ten, I think it was a ten albums that he recorded with the Rolling Stones, but with Jimmy Morrison and Joplin. They had basically a four year career, all three of them. So I think it's not just the timing of their deaths. I think it's that that really short, hyper concentrated nature of their career where now now um, Jimmy started a little earlier because he was a session musician who played with a, a ton of people. But when he releases his first solo album four years later, he's gone. Yeah. And, and that's the pattern with at least those three, if not more, because we're going to get into Kurt Cobain and Amy Winehouse later on, but. And it was like the, 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 the genius of the, you know, it was, it's just, you're, you're right. Like Robin, that, what would that have been? What would it have looked like the musical landscape if it, if they had lived? Yeah. I, I do think with a lot of these artists, particularly post 1950s, right. I think fame fundamentally changed after the 50s that's very true and suddenly these young people were being thrust into the limelight with enormous amounts of money and one of the ways to cope with that level of public scrutiny i mean they're going to indulge they're going to lead the party life they're they're also going to be trying to cope with thousands and thousands of people screaming their name and having zero privacy and so to turn to things like drugs or alcohol is not an unnatural yes. yeah. uh, response. And to overindulge by misadventure, as amusing as I think the pact with the devil theory is. Yeah. It, it's and also having it's all surprising. the drugs be more readily available at, at, yeah. in yes. that era, and, really. At, and particularly in the 60s, Steph, to your point, when a lot of these drugs are entering mainstream culture for the first time. You know, LSD, while it was invented, I think, in the 30s or the 40s, was really hitting the mainstream in the 60s. Yeah, don't take brown acid, dude, you know. Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, part of it's cultural of the time. Yeah. But then, you know, nothing changes in that aspect. And I know we said we're going to come back to Winehouse, but, you know, she was an icon for my generation. Mm. and me too i mean it it was like watching herself destruct in real time oh yes played out in the british tabloids and you knew you knew she wasn't going to be around for a long time yes and you know know, what's interesting about her is and i didn't know this until i was reading up on on this today but when she was 24 years old she said in an interview i'm terrified of dying at 27 Three years later, boom, dead at 27. And I think to an extent, that's a self-fulfilling prophecy. I think it is too. She was going off the rails from a young age. It's it's not hard to look at this this statistical trend. I'm going to keep keep saying statistical statistical in front of that (laughs) and go, oh yeah, I I know I'm out of control and that's mm-hmm. going to be me. I'm going to be part of this. Right. I mean, another thing about, let's, we'd just discuss Amy now, but I think another thing, aspect of her thing is that, yes, she was um, out of control and off the rails and was in and out of rehab, even though she, you know, had her most famous hit was she's not right. going to rehab. I mean, before the Grammys, that performance, they had her in rehab so that she could perform, you know, via satellite. Actually, she couldn't get to LA because her, her visa wasn't, um, you know, if they couldn't get it in time, whatever for her to get to LA. So they actually made this whole thing where she was going to perform and it's brilliant. She was brilliant on that performance and her, the looks of just like astonishment when she kept winning Grammy, she won like five Grammys that year was like, just so you could tell it was so like heartfelt. And it's, this, it's so sad to, to to think of that talent that that was just extinguished and and that I think that a lot of people were trying to help her but a lot of people were, were also indulging her at the same time it was sort of like very sensitive and I don't think people knew exactly how to help her 
Yeah, and uh, candidly, I think uh, her waste of space husband was oh. not helpful <laughs> to the situation. I mean, no. you know, I think he very much enabled and encouraged her habits. Totally. So, but you know, when you talk about watching her disintegrate in real time, th this could easily have been the same story with Brittany and a few other people that we've seen in in recent years go through that sort of similar path, yeah. you know, yeah. that somehow made it through that. And when you go back to the, the 60s again, that could easily have been Grace Slick because she was just as destructive as those other people were. And it was literally like she looked around one day and she's like, all my friends are dead. Mm -hmm. And that's really what started to turn her around. Now, she also had a head on collision with a brick wall in a car in 19, I think it was 1980. And that's when she said, I'm done. Wow, um, I didn't no, know that. No more drinking, no more drugs. And she pretty much stuck to that from that point on. Um, but her first realization was just looking around and seeing all the people that she used to hang out with. And she she and Janice were very close. Mm -hmm. And Jim and Jimmy and, you know, some of the Grateful Dead folks who had been just like damaged by drugs and, and looking around and saying, my friend group, has diminished yeah. greatly because of this. And I think there's somebody in the Grateful Dead who died too. Yeah. Yeah. Pigpen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Pigpen. Yeah. That's right. That's 27. right. 27. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I and, mean, you know, the Grateful Dead and the airplane used to hang out all the time. They had a communal house and everyone was there. The airplane house was the center and the Grateful Dead house. Both of them were the center yeah. of the San Francisco scene. And everyone was there. And when more and more people stopped showing up, Grace yeah. was like, holy shit, I got to I got to wake up. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know. And in fact, um, uh, if you go to it was actually it was sort of her first solo album It was really her second one. But she was kind of not involved in her first one, Manhole. Um, her second solo album, Dreams, is really about her wake up from this and she uh, particularly the songs on side two are scathing self recrimination songs it, it's just an amazing wow album. amazing album anyway enough about grace because she did not die at 27 <laughs> <laughs> you know another i mean sort of as an aside but jim morrison's girlfriend oh, pamela yes. also died yes. at 27 of an od i mean yes. like Talk about kind of like your people are dropping dead around you. Your own boyfriend dies and you're still doing you're, that. And, and, then... it, and it doesn't get you out of that scene. Yeah. And it, yeah. I think it was what, three years after him. Yeah. So she, she finds him in a bathtub at six in the morning in a hotel room in Paris where they'd been staying for a little while. Um, after the completion of L.A. Woman, the last album that he did with the doors, he flew over to Paris and they were just hanging out and. I think trying to get out of that scene that he was in. Yeah. You know, just like when Bowie and Iggy Pop escaped to Berlin, they were doing it to get out of the LA scene that they were so entrenched in and so like buried under that drug culture. And, you know, Bowie called it the most evil city he had ever lived in. Mm -hmm. And I kind of think that's what Morrison was doing too. And so they're over there and, and he's taking long walks through the city and just being quiet and just living a, a, a different life and then has this accident and apparently it was i mean it was drugs of course but you know there was um some speculation because um in in france there's no requirement for an autopsy so no op autopsy was ever done yeah and there's differing different stories about what it was that actually killed him yeah, and I know Marianne Faithful claims that his yeah. death was a heroin overdose. Yes. So, you know, who knows? But the crazy thing is that three years later, his girlfriend, who finds him dead at 27, herself, I boom, know. dead at 27. That's insane. You know. It's sad. so sad. Speaking of Jim Morrison, the really eerie thing to me is him and Brian Jones... Uh, yes. To the day, to yeah. the day, art. Yes, that's crazy. Third of July. Yep. 
There you go, Rob. That's your proof for the devil theory. Uh, I don't, I don't aspire to it, but it's just something that's always come up. Um, you know, and they've been, they've actually been. I think it's interesting too that there's been mathematicians that have studied the statistical analysis of this to like say, okay, this is random. It is not yes. a numerical sequence. <laughs> or it's like this was so traumatizing to people culturally that scientists decided to run, you know statistics tests on it, right? definitely well, i mean then that's why we're saying it could re it's really just like the mythology around no it, right? it's just no, it, it, that's why exactly. it's so interestingly fun you um, could you could probably make a a case for a 28 club or a 26 yeah. club or a 29 club but it's that it's that mythologizing that that went into those deaths in the 60s in that short amount of time with those four-year careers that really makes this a a, a trend if i'm not a trend but a Statistical yeah. trend. A statistical. I, mean, I think yeah. the, the 60s is when you had the biggest names. I mean, the night there's a whole bunch of people in the 90s, but like, unless you're like insanely encyclopedic, you're like, eh, whatever, right? There, none of these people are, are as prolific as the ones we've lost in the 60s, which is exactly, which but, is interesting. Um, the thing about Morrison that's interesting too is that they really. Even to this day, the whole, I know we talked a little bit about mythology, but the whole mystique around his death and his persona and the escape of everything, it's the first one of these that people really just refused to believe that he was gone, right? Yeah. Um, so I think it's the one that had, like, the first real cultural um, sort of footprint in that, you know, it traumatized and shocked and I think affected so many people that they were just simply in denial about it. And I think that's, what's really interesting and powerful about this, this club is that, you know, you have these figures, but Morrison's interesting because one, it was overseas Two, There's not an autopsy, you know, there's all the stories that are going on. And again, when you go to Paris and you go to Paris Lachey, um, there is always somebody, no matter when you go at his tomb, who is there sad and crying. Right. Right. 40 something years later. Yeah. And, and on that note, last year, uh, I, I was in Seattle. It was my first time visiting Seattle. So of course we did all the Seattle-y things like, um, the space needle and the aquarium and the experience music project and, you know, doing a tour of Puget sound, you know, and all that stuff, all that stuff that I love and, and, and really enjoyed. But on our final morning there, we visited, um, the Jimi Hendrix Memorial Park. And oh my God, it was such a great experience. I mean, it's just a simple park. It's got a nice little walking path through it and it's got some sculptures and, and it was just really, really nice. And, and I got to say very moving, you know, to, to be in that spot and to just, you know, kind of be surrounded by his, his genius. Now, I know you said on the nineties, whatever, but I, I'd like to just, can I talk about the three big yeah. ones that in the, you know, I don't say the mm -hmm. grunge scene, but you know, I mean, obviously Kurt Cobain, but also Kristen Pfaff from yep. Cole and Mia Zapata from the Gits. So I'm glad you brought her up. Yeah. That, which is, uh, so, so let, let me just start with Kurt Cobain because obviously, I mean, actually, you know, talk about, having an impact. I, I mean, I remember exactly where I was at my job. I was in my friend Tommy's office and we were like glued to MTV and Kurt Loder, like talking about that Kurt Cobain killed himself. So not, I mean, if you remember, I mean, I know Anthony, you don't remember probably maybe you were, I don't know how old you were. I was six. Yeah. You don't remember. This was, first of all, um, a super violent way to die anytime, but guns were not prevalent then. So for him to have shot himself was just so, so brutally shocking and final and just so horrid that people had to create rumors that like Courtney killed him, you know, like it was just so unbelievable to people that he mm. would have done this. But, you know, he was depressed and he was suffering terrible stomach issues and all these things. And then, you know, he unfortunately took... Uh, he made a bad move, really. Um, but that, but if you think of the generation, the, the impact he had on that generation, which was my generation, really, uh, it was just absolutely shocking. And and you will remember people just sitting outside in 
groups of thousands of kids just crying on yeah. the grass, you know, just yeah. with Courtney. So that was absolutely horrifying. The other thing too, but that makes it particularly sad is I think, I don't know if it was a week or a month, but beforehand there's the whole mess in Rome where he almost dies of an yes. overdose. Mm -hmm. And so he almost dies of an overdose and people thought they got him help and people thought he had turned around. So you have that initial shock of, oh my God, this man needs help. Then they think they're in the clear and then bam, they're not, which yeah. is, that's what makes this even utterly more tragic. You know, it's, it's, it's not even just what happened in Rome about two weeks later, he locked himself in a room with a yeah. gun causing Courtney to call the cops. Yeah. And then a week after that, she arranges an intervention around his drug use. I mean, yeah. this is, yeah. This is a pattern at this point in his life. Yeah, right. And, you know, to me, that's why the conspiracy theories are exactly that. They're conspiracy yeah. theories. Because he was clearly, from March the 1st onwards, self-destructing. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, to, to have a baby, too, at that point. And you yeah, know, I, and he's still doing that. That's clearly you have a problem, you know. The self-destruction is even sort of obvious when you watch the MTV Unplugged, right? When you hear him sing Lead Belly, like, that's the first time I said, I, I remember watching that and thinking, this guy's going to die. And I don't mm -hmm. know why, you know, it's a horrible thing to say and everything, but I just knew this wasn't going to end well when I saw him on that un Unplugged thing. It was just one of those things that you just knew this was not going to go well. And yeah. it's just absolutely horrible because there's such a pattern and there's there's nobody really that's been able to enable it and ro or, or rope it in. So it's it's even more sad. You know, yeah. it's just yeah. gut wrenching. When they did the autopsy, they also found high concentrations of heroin and Valium, which are both downers. You yeah. Know? Yeah. So his state of mind was exacerbated by right. the drugs he was on. Right. So I, I kind of see him as a similar figure to Jim Morrison, where he, they were both lauded as the the voice of their generation, the poet of the people. And that's a lot of pressure, whether yes, that's being put on someone or that they are assuming is being put on them. That's a lot to live up to. Mm -hmm. and, and I think when that, you're so that young, can't, yeah. And that can't have helped either one of them. No, a absolutely not. You don't think uh, you're young when you're 27, but it is, you look back and you're like, that's a young age. And, and of course that all started before they were 27 too. So, yeah. Um, another, so kind of about the, going back to Kristen and Mia, uh, Kristen, the bassist for whole, Courtney Love's band Hole, all OD'd. That was a horrible, horrifying. Um, and they were, you know, Hole was really popular then, and yeah. it was a very all close knit kind of whole, whole family, you know, in that scene. But the absolute, and not saying that these other ones aren't tragedies, but Mia Zapata's death, Mia Zapata from the Gits, was beaten, raped, and strangled, and um, the bands in that scene, like Nirvana and Pearl Jam, like they basically raised all this money to hire a PI to find the killer who wasn't even found until 2003, I think, or something like that and convicted. But it was just horrifying. And I think, you know, from these three things, that whole scene got super dark, super fast. Mm. Yeah. Stephanie, I, I do want to touch on something that's interesting and a little different there. Almost every artist we've talked about so far, it, there have been a significant amount of drugs involved, whereas Mia Zapata, mm. to your point, she yeah. was <laughs> being raped, strangled. Yes. Right? This was not... No. I, I don't... I, I don't mean to say, you know, anyone was asking for this to happen. No, but no. This was in it. She did not put herself on the path. Right. She was murdered. Yeah. Her. She was murdered and in the most horrifying way. So, yeah, that just put yeah. that that just really created a cloud over that the whole scene sort of. And, and I think that was sort of um, the scene ending or not you know you know what i mean i mean it was probably going to end at some point anyway but it was just fading out after a while and those things sort of 
really put the kibosh on it also. On that cheery, this whole this whole this whole podcast is cheery, but <laughs> well, I think I think her death, especially, really was. Yeah, you mean, yeah, yes, really was a wake up call for women in rock and music to sort of take a stand on on domestic violence, mm-hmm. and also um, it. I mean, the 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 effects on the riot girl movement, for example, are like insanely profound right but i think that there really was um a groundswell after this that you could just sort of tell there was you know there were artists that were nowhere near where she was that were affected by this that were commenting on it like you know dolly parton's talking about it right Mm -hmm. dolly parton is like sending flowers to this girl's funeral right and then there's you know, Janet Jackson's talking about it, right? No, you're right. You're right. The, the, I just remember had a far time, reaching thing. I mean, it really, really made people look at, I don't want to say violence in music, but just it made people look about, you know, hey, we need to look at rape. We need to look at, you know, battering women. This whole thing really did launch a sort of mm-hmm. a, an interesting um, cultural wave to it. And it did something. I mean, it really had an impact in that people sort of said, okay, we're going to look at what's causing this, how we can fix it, what we can do. Yeah. In the same way, I think that when Cobain died, one of the things I remember in the week after the weeks after is that people started to examine the idea of depression and mental illness much differently than they may have in the early part of the nineties. So while we're on that era, there is another one I wanted to talk about. That's a little, bit more divorced from the rest but maybe connected to the depression tangents and that's richie edwards from the manic street preachers yeah who disappeared they never found his body um but he is presumed dead uh and the whole thing is is crazy i mean if if you go on his wikipedia article and read about his disappearance it's wild and there are still people today who swear that he's been seen in goa in india or in lanzarote god it's Um, like elvis spotting yeah i mean the the most likely thing is he threw himself off of the seven bridge which is the bridge that goes over the river seven uh between england and wales and it's quite a well-established suicide site Mm. um and you know it's known he drove across well he drove close to it uh to one of the the service stations mm-hmm. left the car at the service station and um the speculation is he he took his life in the seven river that's um, crazy yeah i mean he was declared legally dead so yeah yeah likely that he did that but yes it's just a whole bizarre story yeah, and definitely one worth looking into, but it, it definitely does seem that he was likewise struggling with his mental health. He It's known he was on Prozac, for yeah. example. Uh, if, if that was the case, you know, obviously he wasn't on the right meds. Yeah. Um, but the whole, the whole thing just always makes me... It's wild. And, you know, I think it was Melody Maker with it being so soon after Kurt to, you know, also mental health issues, it got a lot of letters from fans who were fans of both uh, the Manic Street Preachers and Nirvana who were distraught at two of their heroes losing their lives within effectively a year of each other. It's, it's, uh, it's one that's fascinated me for a while, in all honesty. And I'm not a huge Manic Street Preachers fan, but it just seems so weird how he disappeared and, and they've never actually found him. Speaking of mental health, I, I mean, the, I was sort of doing this whole search for other people who were, you know, art, like actors and stuff. And uh, I was a huge fan of Jonathan Brandis. I mean, I know he was a lot younger than, than I was, <laughs> but uh, yeah. he, I thought he was a real good actor. Kid, like child actor um he was in m- 
a lot of, you know, TV shows and stuff when he was young, just as little guest starring roles, like, you know, like who's the boss and blossom and full house and stuff like that. But he, um, he's really known for, um, Sequest, which is Spiel- Spielberg's TV show, which was mm-hmm. actually, I loved that show. I was yeah, obsessed was with Sequest. Yeah, it was good. Um, and that, um, he was, he was a really talented actor. He actually, um, was in the never ending story also. I don't know if you, part oh. two, but what I mean. Mm. So, you know, he appeared on Sequest for a long time and then he was, I, there was a movie he was, he was slated to be in, or he wasn't actually. And I think it was a, you know, like a serious role and his, his part got cut a lot from the final edit, I think. And he was so distraught and depressed and he was already, I apparently, you know, he was doing drugs and drinking and stuff that he, uh, he actually hanged himself. Yes. So oh, wow. at 27. Um, so I think that, um, you know, it's, there's a lot of like also Basquiat, right. Died. Well, yeah, he, yeah, he's on my list. Cause there's, you know, when you look at the full list of like famous people who died at 27, there are a few sports figures and a mm-hmm. few actors, but the majority of them are musicians. Yeah. And there are that, those couple of ones like Jean-Michel Basquiat, who was most known as a painter, but he was also a musician and was in a band called Grey. So he sort of has that, at least that little thematic link to what we're talking about tonight. And the other one is Anton Yelchin. Yeah, he was in a punk band, wasn't he? He was. He had a punk band called Hammerhead. He was a guitar player and he loved the blues and was in this punk band. And but he was most known as an actor. So I I like bringing those other people in that still have those musical connections. You know, was he uh, did he OD or something? How did he? Oh, no, this was horrible. He, He was leaving his house. And he's like, uh, has like a gated house and he got out of the car to either check the gate or check his mail or something. And the car slipped out of gear and rolls back and smashes him into the, uh, the brick column that is like the, the, the border of the gate and just killed him. Oh my God. Isn't that horrifying? Yeah. That, yeah, that's. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's terrible. And he was, oh my God, he was such a talent. He was. He was great. I liked him a lot. Yes. There was a bunch of uh, weird accidents and car crashes for, like, if you, Pete, Pete, the drummer from Echo and the Bunnymen, died in a motorcycle Pete DeFridis in 89, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Pete Ham from Badfinger. Oh, no, sorry, that was a suicide. But Chris Bell died in a car crash. And mm-hmm. also the Minutemen singer, D-Boone. D- D-Boone. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. I was gonna. I'm glad you brought those up because I was gonna bring those up. And Defridis was particularly bad because you know that band sort of had no idea where they were gonna go after a while, and he was a pretty big name at the time. Echo was pretty big, and they yeah, were they just were. beginning to sort of peel away in America and things too. Mm-hmm. And they weren't really sure what they were gonna do next, right? Um, which is sort of another sidebar of these guys that are in bands. I mean, Chris Bell had already left Big Star at that point. And people didn't really realize how gifted of a songwriter he was oh my until after. And, I know. And then he heard his recordings afterwards. And I that's love what's him. so sad, you know, is, um, you know, I, I don't even think Chilton realized it himself, just how good that guy really was as a singer songwriter. So, you know, it's interesting that you've got those two. You've also, you know, we talked about Brian Jones a little bit too, but like the Stones have got to figure out what the hell yeah. are they going to do, right? And I always, I'm always kind of fascinated with this aspect of it. It's like, how do these guys move on, right? How do you even? Yeah, and and just to be vulnerable for a second here myself, you know, I, some of our listeners may or not may or may not be aware that one of the reasons my other podcast went on hiatus was because we lost one of our cast members. And while we're not certainly not a world famous rock band, that huge shock to the system of when you lose a friend and co-creator is enormous and you know (laughs) we're in our 30s and 40s i can't imagine what it's like to lose a close friend uh in your mid to late 20s who you've been on tour all over the place with 
and has been your creative partner in so many things that's that's got to be yeah truly heartbreaking and, and to your point rob caused to some extent a certainly a creative if not existential crisis i mean the stones have had to do it twice too you know yeah. i mean um it's it's interesting because when you go back i went back a little bit and sort of read some of the stuff of Jagger and Richard said about everything happening after Brian Jones. And I am honest. I mean, if you look at the stuff that, that they said, you know, in 69, after he died, I'm surprised the stones even made it into the seventies, much less now, just in terms of how they felt and what they were doing. And again, it's a situation where they, when you can't help the person, it's worse, mm. right? Yeah. But something like Defridus or Dee Boone, where you don't even know it, you don't see it coming. Right. That's also almost worse, um, just because your body hasn't had and your mind hasn't had time to adjust to it. And that's where it's right. so utterly terrible. Yeah. The, the difference in what the Stones were facing when Brian Jones died is that he, you know, he founded the band. He came up with the name. And the other guys joined him, but you know, not too long after that, the, the, the power dynamic started to shift to Mick and Keith. And particularly on that last album that he did, um, he was in such bad shape that he wasn't even involved in the record. They fired him midway through recording the album and then, you know, hired Mick Taylor to take his place and finish the album. And he only did like a little bit of backup stuff on two tracks. He played congas on one and something else on another. I don't even remember, hmm. um, but he's, he's barely on that album. So they musically at least, and I know it's not the same as, you know, having a, a, a creator, a co-creator die, but they have musically moved on from him because he could not be managed. He could not be kept in a position where he, is contributing to the band and it's it's heartbreaking it is because those last few albums that uh he was more or less involved in their satanic majesty's request beggar's banquet let it bleed are phenomenal mm -hmm. albums and particularly let it bleed that's the last one that, that was there and he's barely on it and gets you know kicked out halfway through so you know and I think it was what a month, maybe a month after Beggar's Banquet was finished that he dies. Yeah, I think it's a month, three weeks to a month. It's crazy, crazy. So that has got to be, you know, something that just hangs over them, you know, because that's before the album would be released. It's got to be, it's got to color everything that's, you know, pertaining to that album particularly. Yeah. The other thing too is I know we haven't talked much about Janis Joplin, but I think True. that. Um, it's worth mentioning her because, you know, the more I listen to Janis Joplin, because I've, I've never really listened to her much except for like the last five or six years, just the, 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 the tragedy of it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, uh, this sounds awful, but it's almost like uh, until Janis Joplin dies, this is almost like a masculine problem. Right. Um, but this becomes, you know, way more focused on lost talent with Janis Joplin, just because, <laughs> the amount of talent that woman had is just, it's heartbreaking. I mean, not until Amy Winehouse really do you see somebody that you're just like, Oh man, you know, or it just, it really sucks. And I feel that way about her now listening to her records and stuff. I'm just like, this is, this is a waste. Yeah. So. But you know, that's the case. I mean, all the ones that we're talking all about, I know. Yeah. Mainly are hugely talented people and were enormous influences on culture and on music. And it's crazy that they had the impact that they did in the incredibly short amount of time that they're on the scene. And like I said, Brian Jones was on 10 Rolling Stones albums, but Jimmy records three albums and one live album. That's it. That's his, that's his career. Janice, four albums she did two as the lead singer of big brother and holding company and you know they they made their big splash performing at monterey and their first album came out after that so she's already sort of making a name for herself before their first record comes out and then she leaves big brother and releases 
a solo album, yeah. records a second solo album, which comes out right after her death. So basically four albums. That's insane. And there was only, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, like six Doors albums, but they come out within a five-year period. These people, I mean, this is a, this is an incredibly concentrated, huge impact on their, their, their output, their creativity, and the place that they, uh, the, 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 status that they achieved in society and their importance in music. I mean, it's just unbelievable. And that's exactly what I was about to say, Alan, particularly with Jimmy and Janice, you look at, and I mean, you could argue Jim Morrison as well. I, I don't personally, I don't think Jim had quite the same size caused the quite the same seismic shift as Jimmy and Janice, but look at what the two of those did in their short career. Jimmy basically reinvents guitar oh, yeah. playing. <laughs> oh yeah. And Janice becomes, you know, the archetypal female rock star. She sets the mold for that. Yes. And their careers were so short, but so, so meaningful. Yes, yeah. influential mm -hmm, for, for like decades into that. Oh, well, to this day, really. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, I do want to talk about Robert Johnson just because... What's interesting about when with that is, first of all, you know, this sounds so archaic now, but he died from strychnine poisoning from opening an open bottle of whiskey. So crazy. Which is you just think of now as you're like, what? Right. Right. But it's interesting when you look at the um, after Robert Johnson dies. Right. It's really obvious that people that are playing playing shows with him, you know, in the circuit in the Deep South knew this guy was troubled and they knew this wasn't going to end well, right? You you, um, you read a couple of his biographies where they start looking at the black newspapers and black media at the time. They're already writing about this guy and how he's on a course to self-destruction, right? It's almost like it. It's almost like the Amy Winehouse thing 60 years earlier, right? Pretty much those people who saw him play or who were around him knew something was off and just knew they didn't know how it was going to go. They didn't know if it was going to be him, but they just knew this guy was going to crash and burn. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because his, his death on blues music profoundly affected how blues artists after him took care of themselves on the, on the road in terms of their lifestyle, but also with, you know, drinking and carousing and all the other stuff that goes with that. Robert Johnson really changed how that particular genre and people in that culture in the 30s and 40s began to tour. Um, the artists would, would still drink, but they would not drink homemade hooch. A lot of them either would use homemade hooch they got themselves or they would um, get it from the, the venue where they were playing. It was or it was, it was a little more people being guarded and being careful, right? You listen to the Robert Johnson records and you could tell, okay, this guy's in pain in the same way that Cobain is, right? You listen to his, um, a lot of the stuff he sings about and you're like, okay, this guy can transfer the songs into the music in the way that Morrison did, right? And it's equally as sad. It's just because it's the 30s, it's, it's sort of lost in time. Yeah, lost to history in a way. Yeah, but it's also there wasn't that bang, bang, bang with it. You know, mm -hmm. we had, you know, you had Joe Henderson die um, and some, some other jazz and blues artists and stuff down the line, but it was nowhere near, um, you know, that run that we, we, we talked about earlier. But I think he's an interesting case too, just because of all the mythos around his life and his music and, and, and also a profoundly huge influence on Kurt Cobain um, down the road, which is, which is interesting. And also a, huge influence on um, Brian Jones. Huh. So it, it's kind of interesting how this, yes, it's cyclical, you know, um, but again, you see a lot of the things that happen when, when Robert Johnson dies, like 60 or 70 years later, it's, it's, it's kind of fascinating too, because um, for not living in a mass media world, that was probably the closest thing to a mass media, you know, death. People were using, his death, you know, is an excuse to like, oh, don't drink, you know, or don't listen to the devil's music and all that stuff that we got, you know, after Cobain died, where people were like, oh, don't do, you know, yeah. don't listen to this music, you know, all that nonsense that happens, you know. Right. Um, yeah. So that's kind of a, a neat little 
you know, side side effect of this. And, you know, D Boone, the Minutemen were amazing. Um, and just having that proverbial head cut off of that band at a time when like the Minutemen was going to just absolutely explode. They were, they were at the point where they were going to be, um, you know, vanguards in this whole alternative music movement that was happening in the, at the, in, in the early nineties, there would not be a Pixies if there wasn't a Minutemen. Right. And I'm not sure you get the Pixies if D Boone lips. Yeah. That's an interesting thought. So, mm-hmm. There's one last one that I want to bring up before we wrap up this most cheerful of topics that we've been talking <laughs> about on this episode. And it's probably one of the more recent ones. Certainly, I think the most recent, probably in the Western world. And that is Benjamin Keo. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who actually had, I, I found out while doing research for this topic, a five album record contract with Universal and not none of his music ever saw the light of day i don't know if he even recorded anything but of course he is notable as being the the son of lisa marie presley and thus the grandson of elvis and priscilla yes Mm -hmm. part of the reason why lisa probably is no longer here either because you know Mm. i I still believe she died of a broken heart in a way you know Mm. yeah yeah and i think you know with him he had pressures of growing up in the shadows of his family particularly since he wanted to have a music career of his own and he looked I mean, just like elvis i mean yeah. he looked like elvis so much so there's the comparisons were outrageous you know i mean and i know he he had talked about um and i don't mean to get too controversial here but effectively the psychological impact of growing up in the church of scientology as well Mm. um, which you know he went on to describe as effectively being an abusive environment yeah and again it's it's tragic because that family has just seen loss after loss after loss fundamentally yeah um it's like a kennedy's story but just you know i was i was just thinking the same thing yeah (laughs) so you know that that one benjamin's probably more in with the the kurtz who committed suicide than the uh yeah than the jimmies or the janices but mm. still extremely sad any final quick thoughts i i think we should move on to something more cheerful alan so like picks uh, of the week yeah i was gonna say why don't we take a quick break and then we'll be back with our picks of the week <laughs> In the mood to listen to some geeky conversations? Feel like the internet isn't the best place for an in-depth, respectful exchange of ideas? Then head on down to the 42Cast. It's a weekly show that covers a new geeky topic in comics, TV, movies, literature, or video games every week. We can be informative. Back in my day, kids, Pluto was a planet, so it's gonna stay a planet. (laughs) Irreverent. You learn so much from the X-Men. I mean, really. That Wolverine is the most important character no matter what. (laughs) Strange. It's like, you know, Grodd if he went into theology or something. Right? Or controversial. I believe and I will swear to my dying day that the Marvel Cinematic Universe began with Howard the Duck. Find us on Stitcher Radio, iTunes, 42cast.com, or ESOPodcast.com. It's the 42cast, your ultimate answer to fandom, geekiness, and everything. All right. Well, we're back. Woo! Man. (laughs) We need some sage and like incense. Yeah, I'm telling you. Okay. I need a strong drink after that. Or that. Or that. (laughs) That too, yes. I was having a a not so strong drink during the discussion. (laughs) Anyway, so here we are. We're back after our little break and we are going to do our picks of the week. Who wants to go first? Who's got a good one? Since I wasn't here last week, uh, since I was last on the show, I went and saw Church of the Cosmic Skull at the Earl. Yes. Who were spectacular. They put, uh, and because of that, I've listened to a lot of their music in the last couple of weeks. But they uh, they had quite a, a crazy tour where they did 14 shows in 14 nights. Wow. Uh, driving from place to place. So on the morning of the show in Atlanta, 
they left Raleigh, North Carolina, and apparently their tour bus immediately broke down. Um, so they were due to go on stage at the Earl in East Atlanta at like, I don't know, 9.30 or 10. They didn't get into the venue until 10.30. And they eventually took the stage at 11. And if I hadn't been looking at social media, I would never have known anything was wrong and that they had effectively been on the road for about 15 hours because they took the stage, barely a hair out of place with incredible energy. And that's one of those shows that I would describe as being a spiritual experience. Wow, that's wow. rock and roll. They were awesome. And the support band, Valley of the Sun, who I'd never heard of, they're from Ohio. Their drummer, I thought, looked a bit like Matt Smith, but that's uh, neither here nor there. Um, they played basically a double-length set. They were pulling songs that they hadn't rehearsed out <laughs> to try and keep the crowd entertained. Oh, that's awesome. While we waited for Church of the Cosmic Skull to get there. I mean, they were like, "Wow, this is basically a headline show, guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they were great. I, I, They gained a fan because they were real troopers. They really understood the assignment. And musically, they were great. So I've been listening to them a lot as well. And they have a song that I would recommend called Sweet Sands, which is really, really good. And in terms of Church of the Cosmic Skull, all four of their albums are incredible, but I gained a new appreciation hearing a track uh, called Revolution Comes with an Act of Love. Hearing that live hmm. made me change my opinion of that song. Hmm. So. Wow. Really good, really great energy from both bands, and highly recommend. Go give them both a listen. Awesome, so cool. All right, Steph, oh, what... one more, what, oh. one more thing. Yes, Sorry. yes. I also want to give a shout out to Ghost's amazing cover of "Jesus He Knows Me" by Genesis. Oh, of course, yes, yes. <laughs> Which, I mean, imagine Jesus He Knows Me in the style of Iron Maiden, right? And that's basically that cover. It. It's not something that's particularly easy to conceptualize, but it really works. And the incredible thing is that song is still just as relevant in 2023 as it was in 1991 when Genesis originally put it out. Really, really fun cover. Yeah. So go listen to that as it well. It really is good. All right, Steph, what you got? Okay, you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> well, well, at least I know one and you know, yeah, you know one of the things, which is the new Peter Gabriel single oh called gosh. IO Brightside Mix. <laughs> IO Brightside Mix. Right. And Alan said there should be a dark side mix too, but there's not yet, I guess. Well, there was for all the others. <laughs> I, so know. I don't know why there it, isn't. It for normally, this one. So the dark side mix normally comes at the same time he releases the next one. Okay. Oh, so we'll get I hadn't that. Notice so, that pattern. All right. Yeah. Uh, well, I did, yeah. you know, personally, playing for time was my top of the these the first three songs that he released. But so I was like, I don't think he can top it, but he did <laughs> for me, at least with this new song. I think it's like, I don't know. I feel like it's like a perfect pop song. It's just like right under four minutes. And I love how it sort of marries the whole idea of us being like part of the whole universe and environment and everything with language, like describing the natural world, but then also sort of like language that, describes computer systems like when he's saying uh stuff coming in stuff going stuff coming out stuff going in i'm just part of everything it's sort of mm -hmm. like i don't know i love it i think he does such a great job emotionally with these lyrics and i so this is going to tie into my next pick but i made a comment on the post that i posted about this song about how it reminded me of a song by my friend Frank Bango called Worm Was Wood from his 2008 album called The Sweet Songs of Decay, which that totally, that song is so good that I actually cried the first time my friend Richie played it for me. He, he Richie Vasecki is the lyricist and Frank Bango is the singer and songwriter. For They have six albums and they're amazing. And I... So anyway, I feel like they sort of explore and do that topic better than Peter Gabriel did. No, no, no diss to Peter, but it's so good the way they, they've done capture that whole thing on Wormwood's Wood. But anyway, Frank has a new album out called The Truth Fox, and that is my second pick of the week. 
Uh, Richie has written some of his best lyrics. I mean, then that's really saying something because this guy, Richie is one of the most talented lyricists I've ever come across. Even though he's a friend of mine, I'm not just saying that. Uh, he's sort of like Elvis, Elvis Costello, like level, you know. And Frank is is an amazing pop. Um, all his songs are, are like pop in the vein of Mike Viola kind of pop. And this album is a little bit toned down in terms of like power pop stuff like that. But it's it's more like a, a little more acoustic-y and toned down. But they do have some full band numbers. And it's just, it's so worth getting and checking out. It's called The Truth Fox. It's on Bandcamp. And you should also check all the other five albums out by Frank Bango. So that's my picks of the week. Cool. I'm going to say I really love that Peter Gabriel song. Mm. So good. I, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't as into the third one as you were, but yeah. I, I gained an appreciation of it after I saw how much it affected you. And, <laughs> and so, but, but I've loved all three of them, but this, this new one, I really, really love. Yeah. So. Cool. Yeah. I can't wait for the album. I know. <laughs> I mean, it's been 20 years. I, right. I, you can, you can wait a few more months. <laughs> no, I can't. <laughs> Uh, All right, Rob. So um, this might be of interest to Steph, oh. but there's a new national single. Oh, cool. Uh, with Phoebe Bridgers on it. Oh, oh, awesome. Um, yeah, called cool. uh, Your Mind Is Not Your Friend. <laughs> and um, it's from first three pages of Frankenstein. Yep. And it's it's beautiful. I mean, it's every mm. like the Gabriel, every single is just a little bit different. And they all sort of just poke at you until you let them into your your ears uh so that's very good also a band from orlando called cathedral bells if you like that sort of like shoegaze kind of like um jangle rock type of thing uh they have an album called all under the sky and um it's pretty good it's got some really good dense stuff going on um in terms of like the percussion and the guitars which is fantastic and i am thrilled because the crocodiles are back i don't know if anybody else has heard of these cats but they have an album called upside down in heaven there's basically two of them and if the cramps and the ramones made a record this might be what it sounds like <laughs> it's just like sort of like power pop punk thing going on cool. um they're just they're, they're not they're nuts and they have a new record and it's grimy and it's dirty and it's fantastic uh so i recommend that and lastly um because everything old is new again Love and Rockets are touring, and mm -hmm. um, I'm super excited and super happy. So I'm going to recommend a record I've been listening to a lot this week, and that's Express by Love and Rockets, which is from 1986, and it still Hell holds yeah. up very, very well. Such a so, good record. Yeah. And their drummer's fantastic, too. Excellent. All right, so we're recording this show on April 16th, two days ago. The brand new Metallica album came out and I didn't I, Friday came around and I totally forgot. So it wasn't until Saturday that I saw it on a store shelf and I thought, oh, my God, I forgot to listen to the new Metallica album. So I've been listening to it last night and today, and I really, really like it. Um, it's I, I feel like it's very similar in tone to some of the more recent albums, Death Magnetic and Hardwired, you know, but I feel like it's, it's kind of blends that with a more classic Metallica sound. And uh, I was talking about it at band practice today with my bass player and, and, and we both kind of feel the same way about it. And I, so I've really enjoyed it. I think my standout tracks on it are Shadows Follow is phenomenal. I just love it. Um, the first single, Looks Eterna, is good. Um, a crown of barbed wire. I didn't think that I was going to like that as much when I first started listening to it, but it has just grown on me to the point where it might be my favorite track on the album. Um, if darkness had a sun is, is really, really dark. Title. <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, so yeah, I, I'm really, really digging it and I'm very happy, you know, cause last week my, my pick was the new Susanna Hoffs record and i was had been really looking forward to it and didn't really 
like it that yeah. much and it didn't grab me. So I'm very excited that, that there wasn't a repeat of that this week with the new Metallica album. See, this is where you make me feel like a bad Metallica fan, Alan, because I haven't heard it yet. I haven't had time to sit down and listen to it. I'm very excited for it. But... Yeah. Yeah. I think it's great. I think it sounds good, you know, and there have been some past Metallica albums that even that was, you know, a challenge. The album just didn't sound good. But I think Death Magnetic. I, yeah, exactly. Um, Saint Anger. But I think oh, that I, I think that this that one my memory. Right. I think that this one really delivers some great, fresh, really interesting stuff. And I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Awesome. Yeah. All right. So next week we're going to be back and we're going to be talking about the greatest comebacks in music history. We're going to be talking about those bands that, you know, maybe retired, maybe went away, maybe had a slump in their career, but staged a great comeback. We're going to be talking all about that. So until then, though, Stephanie, where can people find more about you? People can look for me on Bandcamp, first of all, <laughs> um, just under my name, Stephanie Seymour. You can find me, uh, I have a website, thereartbirds.com. You can find me on Instagram at there underscore are underscore birds. And you can find me on Facebook at Stephanie Seymour Music. And then like all the streaming platforms like Spotify and stuff like that. And people should go to YouTube and look for your most recent single. There was a time because it continues to get it traffic. That I'm so song excited. Just keeps going and keeps growing. And man, it's all me. I actually just have it on a loop while I'm working. It's <laughs> all Anthony's just got it playing. Thank you, Anthony. I've hired Anthony as a <laughs> No, it's not. People are listening. Most anytime I'm listening to anything on YouTube, that's the, you know, and it does it, that automatic cue kind of yeah. thing. That's always the next one that, that shows up. So if I just let it play, that's always the next one that comes up. So the three of you know. <laughs> All right, Robert. Hey, so uh, you can find me on KDHX on Wednesdays from 7 to 9 p.m. Central with Juxtaposition, my um, actual, I guess, brick and mortar radio show. And um, if you missed the show, you can check it out streaming online at kdhx.org. All the shows are archived for two weeks. So if you have to go out and buy turtle food or whatever, you got something to listen to while you do that. Um, and then Mondays, 6 to 8 Greenwich time um, is uh, Antics on Louder Than, Ro Louder Than War Radio, which is my um, online streaming radio show. We are going to record show 8 and 9 tonight when we're done with this. And uh, it's a combination of new music and old music and stuff like that. Also on the needcoffee.com uh, uh, podcast, Weekend Justice. And uh, you can now find me on uh, a magazine called Under the Radar um, doing oh some gosh. music reviews. Jesus for Christ, dude. I love and Under the Radar. Stop doing stuff. And uh, <laughs> com. I'll be doing some album and film and, and music book stuff for them. That's awesome. Well. God. Rob, yeah. You, yeah, you don't do enough. Yeah. You're a juggernaut, man. <laughs> I, I just want to clarify that that web address that you mentioned earlier is kdhx.org. Yes. No, KD I literally was like, he said orgy. Yes. It's, it's not <laughs> kdhx.orgy. Like well, it, it is an orgy for your ears because when you listen. There you go. Perfectly When explained. you listen, you just want to grab who's ever next to you and just, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> okay. You know, well. There was a time as the palate cleanse from the <laughs> musical orgy that is uh, on kdhx. All right. Anthony, what do you want to share with us? All right. Well, I mentioned it earlier in the show, so yep. you can find me on Watchers in the Fourth Dimension, where we are watching our way through all of Doctor Who from 1963 until now. It has been a while since we last released anything, but we are starting to think about some new material. Uh, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we have over 100 episodes in the can, so go check out what we've done before. Yeah, there is plenty of stuff to listen to. And I should say you can find us on all of the usual places, uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And on, our, on the socials at, at Watcher4D, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Awesome. Okay, so I have a website, and it is called CosmicCreative.com, and it is spelled K-O-Z-M-I-C, creative.com. And... I've never really mentioned this before tonight, but 
this seems like an appropriate occasion. I got the spelling, that stupid spelling of cosmic from Janice Joplin because oh. yeah, because the, the, the first solo album she released, I got dim old cosmic blues again. Mama is spelled K O Z M I C. Wow. So she, her backing band was the cosmic blues band. So and how so that's where, that? that's where it comes from. I, you know, I've, I've, griped about my own choice of spelling my own company name so many times but now i can say it it i got it from janice joplin blame it go. on dead janice that's right that's right <laughs> <laughs> thanks steph <laughs> Damn it, janice oh shoot all right so we will be back next week and i hope you'll be back to listen to us next week because we got a great show lined up till then take care have a great week be good to each other and keep rocking on. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.